Podcasting can be emotional, so I hopped on a bus and ditched Philadelphia in an impulsive move driven by the little people in my brain. We're talking inside out on today's... We're not affiliated with Netflix. Welcome to Kidflix, the podcast for adults to try to definitively rank every kid's movie ever made. I'm your host, Ross Wiseman, and this show is not for kids, so turn this off and fail to connect with teens. Uh, so if you can hear background noise, that is because I'm recording this live from the DC Podcast Festival. Uh, very excited to be here. Uh, uh, thank you to PRX for uh, doing this setup. Uh, but speaking of setup, uh, I've met this person in the past 12 hours, and we had to set up a podcast recording. Is that good? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> my guest, uh, he is a podcaster. He's the host of Sweating the Small Stuff. It's Cameron Buzar Jomeri. Hello, everyone. Did I, did I do that correctly, or you, did I put too much emphasis? You got it. You, uh, you got there. It was like watching a very slow train wreck, where no one really got hurt, but there was still a derailing. Yeah, the, this was an Amtrak. That was all SEPTA. <laughs> um, so thanks for... Yeah, so this is exciting. Uh, we just met each other the other day, but we've been kind of... Uh, really hit it off. Yeah, we've been conference buddies. Mm -hmm. um, and so today... We are talking about Inside Out, uh, which is another great Pixar movie. I think only the second time that we've really formally talked about uh, a Pixar movie. So tell me, what's your relationship with this movie or just uh, Pixar as a whole? Well, you see, Pixar is a company that makes movies that I watch a lot. So I watched it. Great. And now I have opinions. Okay. So, I mean, uh, and this is also, so this was uh, kind of a last minute episode. So we don't have all of the research that I'm so famous for. So, um, I mean, I guess just let's just jump right into it. So uh, how does this movie kind of connect with you? So what I actually loved about, uh, or Inside Out, not Out, what I loved about Inside <laughs> Spoiler. Out was it actually, I felt it was a really amazing representation of depression. It's this idea that like, you can't just make yourself happy yeah. when you have this deep sadness inside you and trying to force those feelings down. It'll never end well. And yeah, I know it's like one of those things where in two hours you cannot truly touch all the incredible depth of such a sensitive topic. But I think the way they represented the actual girl's emotions and how she is trying to handle her feelings when her own emotions are not cooperating, it, I thought it was a really beautiful, insightful way of showing us how that works. For sure, yeah, and this movie came out in 2015, so uh, not to make myself feel seem too young, so I had just finished my freshman year of college, and uh, you know, that's a time that's ripe with change and things. I was having a lot of depressive issues, I still am, fun fact, but um, seeing this movie, and uh, I was at such an emotional state, so weirdly enough, so summer of 2015, I had quit drinking coffee, uh, which I'm back on, but uh, I quit coffee because I thought that would help my anxiety, but instead it just plunged me into a constant depressive, sad state. And so seeing this movie really, I remember it just really struck me as like, oh, the, I understand what I'm feeling right now in a different way. And yeah, the whole message of that you can't have one without the other is super key. Because I think, um, you know, parents always say, don't be sad, it's, it's all going to be okay in the end. And it's super uh, important to feel that hope, but also you need to kind of dwell in your own sadness and kind of experience the emotions that, like you said, that you're trying to push away. Yeah, and 
the the thing that I thought was weird was like there's so much of this like subtext of this is what depression's like, this is what sadness is like, and then we're wandering through the wastelands of the young preteen to teenage Riley. Mind. Yes. We all know this. And it's like I I get that you want to have these like metaphors of like this is what it's like to forget your like uh, imaginary friend and dang that I'll be honest that it's a that second got me. death. That got me. That hit me hard. But they have like all these different like tropes and things that they're going through and every single thing they introduce us to is supposed to be a metaphor that mechanically for the plot of the movie destroys the plot of the movie. <laughs> like it's like we have to go find her core memories. These are the things that have built the foundation of her memory. And they find them like almost immediately. Yeah, it was just a little pop-up box or something. Yeah, and then they have to Lord of the Rings style get those the the ring back to Mordor so that they can put her brain back to working order, which yeah. is like there's not a bunch of great subtext, but what I kept finding weird was like, oh, we can send these memories straight up to the thing. It's like, all right, well, can't you just send the core memories straight up to the thing? And then yeah, and it's also, if I remember correctly, um, so the core memories, some of them are things from when she was a toddler. Mm -hmm. So she's she's a preteen in this movie, so there's no way that she's actually remembering these things. Mm -hmm. And I think core memory maybe wasn't the best descriptor of what it was. It's more, I think, of just... You know, like a personality building block or something mm -hmm. like that. There are mm -hmm. things that you definitely don't remember. I, I can't remember the earliest memory of me being a ham. I've been told that it was constant, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I can't know that for sure. Just under layers and layers of these other memories that you built around it. So, like, you have you don't have that memory. You have, like, the, like, emotional string attached to it. You're yeah. Like, the emotional string of, like, why I like the taste of this one cereal or why uh, every time I eat my mom's... I don't know, your parents' cooking is like always going to taste a little more like nostalgic and deeper than when you or anyone else makes it. For sure, yeah. Like uh, my grandmother, she used to make these little Jewish cookies, uh, rugelach, so they're the little um, mm -hmm. spiral guys. And, I mean, uh, there's an amazing restaurant by my work that sells them, and I buy them every so often, and they just kind of suck. I mean, they're <laughs> great, but they suck. Uh, like that, the whole like homemade aspect of it and like how it's like some of it's burnt some of it's like too mm -hmm. spiced or mm -hmm. whatever that's just part uh part of what makes it special oh yeah same thing for me my grandma makes this perfect they're called cotelet it's like this it's basically just like this little um you can think of it like a patty okay where it's like beef onion and um, potato that are put together and then pan fried and it's really good and Every place I've ever gone that says I make cotelette, like, I'm so used to my grandma's cooking because the only kind of cotelette I had for, like, 20 years of my life that every single time one of them's like, this is cotelette, I'm like, you are wrong. And I will go back there and I will destroy your kitchen for insulting her name. You're telling me that my grandmother did things differently? Exactly. And, but coming back, like, that's, I get that that's where they're trying to go. And I understand how that's foundational. But then you, like, immediately look at the mechanics of how her brain's supposed to work and the imagination of Pixar. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. No. I mean, I think, you know, the general spirit of the movie definitely rings true of, you know, your brain is a cavern and you really have to search sometimes to really remember who you are and things like that. And that sometimes when you reflect on things from your childhood that you think were super happy moments, then you realize either you learn a new fact about it or you just realize, oh, this is actually a really sad memory of, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. me having the worst trick-or-treating of my life. And like, and something I want to ask you about sure. is, how did you feel about like how the emotions play? Like every time a emotion touched a memory, it would change colors and stuff. And I thought that part of it was actually really clever. That like I can think of a memory that I used to think of as being very happy, 
or very sad and think of it in a new light. Yeah. Where, like, maybe before I was, like, envious thinking back on, like, this time that my friend or my brother or someone did something that I thought I'd done really well at, but, like, now they just couldn't crush it. But then, like, I have a happy memory because I remember I actually helped them get there, and I liked how that played into the plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of, I guess, I think back to the first thing that popped in my head was um, how when I was a kid, my brother and I would fight all the time, and I hated it. It was terrible. It hurt my feelings and soul, but oh. it's fine. We're good now. Uh, <laughs> but ever since, you know, we've become close and we're both grown adults, now we can look back on those memories and laugh and be happy about them. Like him making me bite down on a dog toy when I was four... Uh, <laughs> No, you're good. A PRX person was just like, what did you say? It's We're good. It's, I, we're happy Getting now. some wild discussions over here yeah, at DC Yeah, but, you know, I cried the first time when that happened in real life. But thinking back, first of all, he doesn't remember doing that, which is mm-hmm. fun. But also, you know, now I've grown and I thought, oh, yeah, I was being a little snot-nosed kid. I think that would have been funny now in retrospect. I got to ask, older sure. or younger? Older. Yeah, that makes perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, he, he's five years older than me, so, you know, he got used to having a life without a younger brother, and then suddenly he had to be that guiding light. Uh, mm-hmm. But sometimes that works. Do you have a similar thing? Do you have kind yeah, of... I'm, I'm the older brother, and I only was alive on this earth for two and a half years before the Cameron 2.0 came out. And that was... Uh, and like, your parents what perfected childhood? Yes. <laughs> I was the alpha build, and he was the, like, full production release. <laughs> and now I'm just having to live with that. Yeah, you still have, like, green screen spillover all oh, over Oh, yeah, you. all over. Well, that yeah, that happened. Like, my brother, um, he, yeah, he got in trouble a lot, and me not wanting to get in trouble, I always was a good boy that did what I was told. Mm-hmm. And then he, of course, took it out on me. Like, one time, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, I faked running away because I was mad at him. I hid in my backyard for a couple hours, <laughs> and my parents <laughs> called the police and then oh, found no. me just crouching uh, under the carport. Uh, and that was a fun lesson that I learned, that if I'm mad at my brother, don't take it out on my parents. Yeah, and also don't get the police involved. No, and that was, an, you know what, probably my mom, her memory of that at first was sadness and anger, but now after the fact, now it's a happy memory. Yeah, I wonder how many memories we can all point to in our minds that are, in the moment, it was probably the worst thing in the world, but once you're through it, it becomes one of the best stories you get to tell people. <laughs> yeah, like I'll, I'll sometimes think of a funny sto- of story that I think is funny, uh, and I'll tell it to my boyfriend, and I'll just see the look on his face and realize, oh, no, that's a sad, very personal thing <laughs> that I've just totally accepted. I love that. I really... And that's, like, I do enjoy that part of the movie. It's like, they did a really good job. I'll, I'm going to be really biased up front. Inside Out, not one of my favorites movies. That's but okay. I think what it did well is really what stood out, just because it, like, there was definitely things in it that you could never tackle in another Pixar movie. No. You can't do this stuff in Ratatouille. You can't do this stuff in <laughs> Wally. I mean, they basically ca- tackled versions of this in Up. Mm, that's true. That was... That, up. See, that's the thing. is like We could have done Up, and everyone would have been like, oh, this is the Up episode, and it would have just made your podcast too, too popular because that's the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah, that's my big complaint. I'm like, I don't want this podcast to get popular. Yeah. Also, yeah. I don't like that you just skirted by me saying episode. <laughs> I, want, I wanted a full cheer from uh, okay, the entire okay. DC Pod fan body. Yeah, yeah, let's get some Foley. <laughs> How's that? That was good. And I'll add uh, I'll add a Willem scream or something. Willem scream, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how it's funny. <laughs> that joke was too funny! Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, uh, 
So did you see this like in theaters when it was when it oh, came yeah. out? Oh yeah, I took my mom. I've taken my mom to see pretty much every Pixar movie that's ever come out in theaters. Oh, that's so sweet. Yes. But I remember people were so <laughs> were like scared about this movie. Like, this is going to be the most manipulative thing ever from Pixar. It's oh, yeah. just going to be all crying. Uh, and I so when I was uh, off caffeine when this movie came out, I was scared to see it because I thought. My emotions are already all over the place. I don't know if I'll be able to handle that. Oh, no. And then I finally saw my friend torrented, sorry, FBI, we're in D.C. <laughs> I hope they're not listening. But they, they found... like right outside, like, hey, <laughs> hey. Yeah, move in. Uh, but they found, you know, some pirated version that someone recorded in a the theater. And it was such a bad quality that I was able to, like, distance myself from mm -hmm. it and was thought, oh, this is fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit, I've seen the same problem with Avatar. Someone tried showing me... A version of Avatar that was a cam rip, I'll admit. Yeah. And I remember sitting there thinking... Well, it was I a cam rip because it was made by James Cameron. I remember... Oh! <laughs> Welcome to KidFlick. Pew, pew. <laughs> We're using fancy equipment well, and ruining it. Here's the funny thing about what happened with that one, is you see in Avatar, I already did not... Like, it was already like a plot that they put in space thinking no one would notice. Mm -hmm. like, it was Dancing with Wolves, maybe it's a little Pocahontas. You decide. But... Here's what's great about cam rips, and I never knew this until my friend showed me this. Okay. In cam rips, you see the people in the theater, and for weird reasons, when there are intense scenes on the screen, that you could not make out what the scene was. <laughs> you could just tell that this blob may have been talking to this blob in a very distorted, staticky, the bass is too loud in this IMAX theater for this handy cam. Yeah. Wait, but, they're doing IMAX rips? I don't know, That's man. wild. But they have, like, an Oculus. But here's what would happen. Yeah. Is the guy sitting directly in front of this handicap would start doing this Zoidberg, like, <laughs> crab hands in the air motion where he's swinging his arms back and forth, which I imagine would be annoying to literally any human being sitting behind you. But solely in the singular context where this man happened to be on this web rip of Avatar, where yeah. I was watching, I was like, this man is going to forever live in my mind as the funniest thing that has ever happened in a movie theater that no <laughs> one knows about. He's, he's like the unsung hero of that camera movie. Do you think if, have you ever been in a theater when somebody is trying to rip it? I cannot, here's the thing. I bet you have. I bet all of us have and none of us knew it. Yeah, because I'm thinking to the Seinfeld episode where Jerry gets conned into doing that and like, I would never tell somebody because mm -hmm. it's kind of just like an unwritten rule that how everybody sneaks food into the movie theater. It's like, okay, if you're going to film it, I'm sure you have a good reason you're not just being rude or exactly. something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And also, I just hate confrontation. So I'd be like, uh, maybe don't or something <laughs> like that. Not having to talk to people is always great. Yeah, that's why I go to the movies. So exactly. I, I get to spend two hours sitting next to my mom, having a great time, and neither of us has to talk. It's great. <laughs> also, you know I love you, Mom. If you're listening to this, I love you. You're the yeah. best. You know what? To all the moms out there listening, we love you. Yeah. Yeah, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here. Sorry for acting out in our adolescence like Riley, and I hope you know that it's because we were just, uh, sadness got lost and happiness had to find her. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, did you know that uh, the writers of uh, this movie, they nearly had 27 different emotions that were going to be a part of it? I did not know that. I knew they were playing with a bunch of different emotions and making, like, maybe some of them would actually be villains. And I'm, I'm glad they yeah. didn't ever make any of the emotions villains. Cause I, yeah, because, I mean, the message that all... Uh, emotions have their time and place are important. So just to recap, the five main emotions are joy, sadness, disgust, fear, and anger. And, you know, you see at the end of the movie, 
that the, they morph a little bit and mm -hmm. there's like more nuanced versions, uh, kind of like in Dead Poet Society. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, uh, exactly. That's this is part of the Dead so Poet Society extended universe, actually. Yeah, you know, if, uh, if you could add one emotion to the Inside Out roster, do you think you which which do you think you would add? Awkward shame. Ooh, I mean, no, this this is just like, like Big Mouth now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is just like that constant strange. Also, great. Yes, I think actually Big Mouth might be the most like real interpretation of what's probably going on inside someone's head. Yeah, but if except Pixar, hopefully not the incest stuff. Yeah, definitely not that part. But <laughs> as as something that has to go back to what was like a kid friendly representation of emotion that people could latch onto, Inside Out did fine. Yeah, but I, I actually want to jump into how Big Mouth demonstrates like depression and shame because they do a really good job like the idea of like the depression kitty just keeping you down mm -hmm. or shame but also it's a, like you. having it be a warm embrace too mm -hmm. which i think is mm -hmm. such an important part of it um and yeah the shame wizard uh i mean i've had a shame wizard my whole life and i'll probably continue <laughs> to have one of just like oh god because, I mean, I still, I get the shame wizard in terms of just remembering anything that's happened to me past, like, six months ago. Oh, yeah, me too. Mine's actually has a name. His is Shame the Rock Johnson. So <laughs> It looks like Dwayne the Rock Johnson if he wore a robe everywhere and also just was really mean to me, which I don't think is how Dwayne really is in real life. Yeah. Uh, mine is named Shamey Schumer. <laughs> and, uh, man, she, she gets really up in my face, and she's kind of mean about it. And... Uh, you know, diminishing returns when she interacts with me, but still, yeah, you can't no. deny her impact. <laughs> I think the biggest thing, though, that all of these show is, like, it's obvious. Like, you don't want to be depressed. You don't want to be upset. No. But this show is exactly like, like in Big Mouth. They show it as a warm embrace. It shows, like, it's a comfortable, easy thing to fall into. Yeah, and, and also in terms of just the Maurice and the different hormone monsters that there are some points where you obviously want to push it away, but then other times where you're like, yeah, this is a part of who I am, and you're a part of it. Mm -hmm. And I think those are things that Inside Out definitely got right. Now, yes. I'll, I'll throw some uh, knowledge your way. Did you know that they had to make different versions of the movie, depending on where it's released, because of what actually disgusted children? Oh, are you talking about how in Japan, I believe, how uh, instead of Louis Black saying, uh, there's broccoli on pizza, they changed it to, I think, bell peppers? Yeah, they were green bell peppers. Because yeah. for some reason, children in Japan do not like green bell peppers. And I don't actually get why kids don't like broccoli either. I don't... Uh, I think because it, like, it looks like a tree. And you're just like, Dude, I, I eating? get to eat a whole tree. I'm a mighty giant <laughs> eating this tiny tree. Cower before me, tiny tree, as I put cheese all over you. I, I remember I asked a friend of mine in first grade, oh, do you like broccoli? And she said, yeah. And I said, oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know wh why I did that. Dude, I had a friend in uh, elementary school who he ate, I don't know if I, he'd call it, consider me his friend anymore, he ate Ooh. carrots with ketchup. And I looked at him, I was like, this man is a genius. Hmm. Because carrots are already great. Ketchup tastes great. You put the two together, it tastes great. How, how did it taste? It tasted great. It tasted, you, 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 had the, to this you had the mild sweetness of the carrot and the overpowering sweetness of the ketchup. And all you really tasted was the ketchup, so it didn't matter. That's what ketchup <laughs> does. Ketchup makes everything taste like ketchup. And the only time it's not okay is on steak, because I worked it's, really hard on that steak. Yeah, uh, my, fr my friend is housing me in D.C. this weekend, and uh, I love him, but uh, I, he made us, like, steak, and it was very nice, and he's, he offered me ketchup. And I said, do you have literally anything else? And he said, hey, he no. He wanted you to put ketchup on the steak? Yeah, you know, I put it on the side. So it, it was like very thin, kind of like a, like a skirt steak or uh, like the thin steak that they put on a cheese steak. 
sweet Ross. Sweet, capable, innocent, handsome, charismatic Ross. I must tell you, the ultimate, the ult I actually don't know why most restaurants don't do this. The ultimate topping for steak is a sunny side up egg. Whoa. Every time. Because here's the thing, I make, I'm going to, I'm going to, just blow everyone's mind. I'm going to tell you Cameron's secret to always get having good steak whenever you want. Okay, listen up, everybody. Step one, go to Costco. Buy yourself a pack of New York strips for like 30, 40 bucks. You're going to get four good-sized New York strips in that baby. And here's the important thing. First of all, the money savings alone. You have just doubled the amount of money. You have just saved like an extra double however much you spent on the steaks. You just saved that much money in a restaurant. You're yeah. welcome. Okay. Step two. <laughs> Thank you. Invest in a sous vide machine. I'm about to tell you why. Okay. I've been trying to tell people to get... I don't have a sous vide machine, but I'm on it's board. next level. Here's what's going to happen. Okay. You're going to take those steaks over, and you're going to season them in your kitchen. Salt, pepper, maybe a little garlic powder if you're feeling up to Put it. Put a little maybe. sprig of rosemary in there. Oh, yeah. Got to have the rosemary. Maybe even a little little clove of garlic. I don't know. It's your Look, kitchen. I'm an active subscriber of the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen on YouTube. You don't have to tell me this. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to want to get yourself a gallon Ziploc bag. You're going to want to put one of those steaks in each gallon Ziploc bag. Okay. And then you're going to throw those things in the freezer, and they will keep for basically ever. Now, here's the genius. It's, I don't know, maybe you got home around 6 o'clock in the evening. You're tired, but you're going to go work out. You're going to go sit at your computer. You're going to do something. Oh, that's a good idea. Now what you're going to do is you're going to take that steak out of the freezer. You're going to put a sous vide bath. You're going to set that thing to maybe 140. Yeah, to get a nice medium rare. 142, and you're going to put it in that bath for at least, I'd say an hour to 90 minutes is a good spot. And here's the beauty of sous vide. You go straight from freezer to cook steak. And then you take that steak out, you finish it on the stove, maybe two, three minutes each side. And while you're cooking it with all the juices that came out of that bag, you're going to crack an egg in there. Wow. You're going to let that egg get a little runny and a little set. And then you're going to take that steak on your plate, put the egg right on top, and as soon as you cut into that steak with that egg yolk running over it, it is a game-changing flavor combination. That sounds intensely amazing. It sound, like it's, it's like when you get a really fancy uh, Eggs Benedict, and you're just like, this is the richest thing that I've had in my life, and mm -hmm. I don't think I'll be able to move for a couple hours, but I, I totally feel you on that. Your listeners did not come into this episode expecting to get next-level game-changing food yeah. saving you've, tips. You've, changed, you've turned our perceptions of steak inside out. Oh! oh. <laughs> yeah, okay, the PRX people looked at us again. We're doing I, I'm up. now going to judge the success of this podcast solely based on how many weird glances we keep getting. Yeah, so so far, the, for those of you uh, keeping tabs at home, it is two. Is it two? I thought we got an extra one somewhere in there. Well, we, yeah, we got, we got one a little while ago. Uh, I'm sure uh, we can try to get one in when people are trying to use our, this equipment when we're wrapping up use of the equipment. Oh, no, we live here now. Oh, okay. 40 hours later, we're still here. Whoop, whoop. Um, yeah, so uh, another difference in uh, the different releases is I found out that Riley's dad, when he daydreams about, uh, you know, sports and stuff, it's either hockey or soccer. Mm -hmm. Or for those of you that are international listeners, so all two of you, uh, football. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's uh, Pixar. I like that they put in the extra effort to appeal to the different audiences, even though, mm -hmm. you know, what one kid likes... And or dislikes or what one father thinks about who really cares, but it's just, you know, the little uh, little extra detail. And I think they really try hard to get really good voiceover talent for the international releases as well. Well, here's the thing that you always have to think about with pretty much every animated kids movie that I feel like the vast majority of people don't even pay attention to. Sure. Nothing is there by accident. Every single pixel on that screen was rendered 
by hardworking artists making incredible renders that take hours to turn into final images that turn into the final video that shows up in your movie theater. Yes. And, like, if he's thinking about hockey and he's thinking about soccer or football, that means <laughs> someone somewhere had to go out of their way to figure out what does Riley's dad think about when he thinks about sports. He thinks about soccer. What does that look like? Let me render out every single thing that's going to show up on the screen now. Yeah. And then do the same thing again for hockey. Like, it's one thing to say, like, Riley's dad thinks about hockey and just, like, have a fun soundbite. But, like, if you're going to show us stuff, that's time. That's commitment. Mm -hmm. And also, speaking of Riley's dad, he, he, pull, he pulls off that mustache. He does pull off that mustache. I aspire to that mustache. Yeah, I, I wanted to do Movember this year, which by the time this comes out, it'll be very deep into. Mm -hmm. uh, and, like, I, I wanted to do it really bad, but uh, my boyfriend forbade it. Uh, he doesn't want me to shave in general, but definitely he doesn't want to deal with a mustache. And I also realized, <laughs> oh, if I show up to Thanksgiving with my family and I have like a thick mustache, uh, they're only going to make jokes about me being in a porno. <laughs> Which, you know what, I don't want to hear that from my family. That's I, really dated, too. Yeah. <laughs> is that even a trope? I should, I should, nope, this is getting into a weird space. I don't know how not PG your podcast is, but we're about to oh, go Oh, it has the explicit marker on okay. iTunes. Uh, but yeah, un honestly, porn needs to have more mustaches. Bring, hashtag bring back the mustache. Bring back the mustache. Uh, we're, I'm, we're I'm, gonna not, I'm not using that We're gonna ta We're going to tag you porn <laughs> in this episode's <laughs> description, because uh, we're going to have a good time. Um, uh, also, here's a crazy fun fact that I found. Um, so connecting, you know, I don't, I don't really care that much about the Pixar theory, but just in terms of linking old Pixar to new, um, when we see video of uh, Riley as a toddler in her memories and things, every time you hear her shriek or something, that is actually old dialogue of Mary Gibbs who played Boo in Monsters, Inc. Really? Yeah. So... Uh, I think they've used that. They've used her shrieks for several different movies, just because. I mean, they have probably hours of different recordings, and especially also the actor, whoever it was that played Jack Jack in the original Incredibles, they just have it locked and loaded. So why not just use it instead of hiring a new person? That man, that's some next level stuff to think about. Yes, yeah. there's that's. So that's why I do appreciate about. Pixar the most. I think that's the one reason why everyone loves their stuff is like they don't just build you epi they don't just build like these episodes of like this is just going to happen. They built a movie where everything is a self-contained story and if you pay attention you get all these fun like lasting beats. Even within their own movies there's like um oh god I'm trying to remember there's like there's always like some background characters that you can kind of just like follow them mm -hmm. throughout different Pixar moments or like in within a single movie, and it's just like that's that's the crazy thing is like nothing in a Pixar movie is there on accident. Oh yeah, and especially in the like more recent ones, like I don't know if you saw the most recent Toy Story. I did. It looked so real. Oh yeah, I watched a 15 minute video where they talked about the different anamorphic lenses that they uh, imitated to make it all work and they had to put so many artificial lights on the set mm -hmm. like they really treated it like a real movie and even though you know i didn't end up loving toy story 4 like it's absolutely beautiful it feels so realistic uh in a way that is unsettling at times but it's it's absolutely gorgeous i, I literally at times when i was in the movie theater i turned to my fiance i was like this is this is not real right this is like a movie <laughs> This is like a movie where like is little this toys. Stop are motion? Did they switch to stop motion without telling us? I think that's the thing about suspension of disbelief, though. Is like when I know I'm looking at toys and not people, 
my brain has that easy, like it's easy for my brain to slot into like, these are toys. Oh, totally. So I don't like, I don't attribute the same elements to them that I think of as people. And that's, I, I think that's something that actually comes back to how emotions looked in, um, in uh, Inside Out. Like they're somehow more palatable because they weren't like actual mini people. They carried some characteristics of the person they represented, mm -hmm. but they were like distinctly their own little emotional thought bubble. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, um, yeah, it, it's, I mean, this is a type of movie where I think when it was coming out, people thought, okay, this is going to be really pandering and just like kind of stupid. But I, I, I know the kids really enjoyed it. They thought it was, you know, a journey in your mind is cool. Um, but also, you know, for all the adults that watched it, I think it just really hammering home the Pixar whole thing of it's okay to express emotions and mm -hmm. feel really terrible or really great uh, because it's important. Um, I found a list of other titles that they nearly used for Inside Out. Would you Ooh, like to hear yes, some of them? Yes, I want to hear all of them. Okay. Wait, so, we have, to, we have yes. to hear them and then we have to determine what the new plot of the movie was supposed to be. <laughs> there are a lot, so I'm just going to choose a, a few. Give us, the, give us the bangers on the list. Uh, down in the Dumps. All right, this is definitely about Oscar the Grouch just yeah. living his... It's like not even like he's sad or anything. It's just literally just a documentary about Oscar living a normal day. Mm -hmm. He like wakes up. And here's the weird thing. He wakes up in a high-rise apartment. And he's like very well off. But like he knows he has to it's help... It's like Joker. Yeah, he has to help the underserved people of his... Uh, of the Sesame Street community. So he, he takes off his suit. He takes off his tuxedo. And he goes down and Does gets in the garbage Does he clean the trash? I don't know. I think he just lives in trash because famously, uh, Beauregard the Muppet, he's <laughs> the one that is like a custodian. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you're Am right. I so. the, yeah, I'm th I think I'm thinking of the right no, guy. I'm I, picturing yeah, I'm a sure. janitor character. No, Beauregard's like the weird like bear guy that in... Uh, I think of Fozzie? No, the, I know Fozzie. Okay. Look who you're talking to. Okay, okay, uh, okay, okay. Oh, that's going to drive me crazy. Uh, you know what? I'm sorry. This is my big biggest failure as a Muppets fanatic on this podcast. <laughs> Um, but let's see. There's another one, uh, Joyless, which I think isn't terrible. Uh, it's not as. Uh, I don't think I would. W I don't think I would go see the Pixar movie Joyless. Fair enough. Um, State of Mind. That sounds decent. like the like sequel to um, uh, what was that one? Uh, the the game with the one with Matthew Broderick and he liked all the nukes. Uh, War Games. Yeah, State of Mind sure. sounds like the sequel to War Games. Uh, brought to you by Pixar. <laughs> And then there's also Headquarters, which, uh, sure. No, that one is the sequel yeah. to War Games. Uh, but Pixar animator Matt Jones suggested, jokingly, Joy Story. Which yes, that yes, I would have seen the hell out of that, that one. <laughs> and it's all inside Woody's head. Yeah. Uh, howdy, partner. Actually, uh, that would have been wild if they redid Toy Story, but like this time they're showing us all the things going inside Woody's head, in addition to him being set on fire. <laughs> Yeah, the end of the movie of uh, Toy Story 3 is very different in that way. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what other things we need to cover with this movie. I mean, this was obviously a very uh, informal one. Um, I mean, I think we, of course, have to get a sh give a shout-out that this was uh, uh, co-written, directed uh, by Pete Docter, who is kind of one of the most prolific of the Pixar folks. He did mm -hmm. Monsters, Inc. Mm -hmm. He did Up. He's doing that upcoming movie, Soul. Uh, and I think he also helped out a lot with um, Coco, Mm -hmm. uh, even though he wasn't really formally on that one because I think that was passing between a couple different directors. But, uh, yeah, uh, this was fantastic. Um, oh, you know what? We also have to talk about briefly uh, the short film that came before it. Do you remember Lava? 
Yeah, was that, that the one with the two volcanoes? Yes. That one was amazing. Okay, yeah. I think a lot of people were so thrown off by it because they were like, what are we watching? Yeah. Um, but, oh my goodness, it is so sweet. It's a wholesome, wholesome little short, and it's a dedication to, I forget the, uh, he was a Samoan musician? Um, it was, uh, the. We I can't think of his name, and I don't want to mispronounce it, but uh, Israel... Uh, the, the man uh, that sang the Somewhere Over the Rainbow cover yeah. with the ukulele. Fantastic cover. It was uh, based on him and his wife because a bunch of people were angry and were saying, oh, how come the male vulc- the male-coated volcano is, uh, you know, like, you know, average and tubby and the, the female-shaped uh, m- uh, volcano is tall and thin? It's like, no, that's just who they were. Um, but, yeah, it was beautiful. Uh, you know, it tells a beautiful, sad story in four minutes, mm-hmm. and that was the song of the summer. Uh, move over, Justin Bieber. It's volcanoes. You know what, Justin Bieber? Like, don't even get back on the road. Just stay off the road, and also go find a dumpster and stay in the dumpster. Yeah. So the guy's name was Israel uh, Kamakawiwa Ole. I believe is how you pronounce that. Yeah, I, that's a, that sounds about right. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, it might be hard. Uh, it was it was really great, and it's also an excellent representation of you know how love is like a volcano, because if you don't pay attention, you'll get lava on yourself. And also, how the word lava kind of sounds like love. Damn, I didn't even think about that part. That's actually really good. <laughs> One thing I want to add. Wait, you didn't think you didn't realize that? No, I never realized that lava sounded like love. And at I'm the end, they say I lava you. Oh god. It's okay. Also, uh, I just, all my I also just saw on Wikipedia that um, uh, in 2015, Pete Doctor said, there's no sequel idea for me at this point, but never say never. Damn. So, uh, yeah, so there's, uh, there's no more, like, Pixar sequels that they're currently working on. Please I think they're, they're trying to work on a lot of originals because they kind of accidentally scheduled a lot of sequels in mm-hmm. a row. So I think they're trying to take a break. But... Uh, Pixar president Jim Morris said that, like, eh, it could happen if they have the right idea, which I always like, that they won't do something unless they know that they can do it right. And we talked about this, so any of you guys who don't remember from the top of the show, I host a podcast called Sway and the Small Stuff, and I'm just going to awkwardly plug this because on our podcast, we like to explore the science stories and misconceptions behind your favorite everything in pop culture. And one of the things we did was in Toy Story 4, what you don't realize about it is it's like the culmination of almost, I think it's like, what, since the 90s? So over 93 20, or 94 was, I think, when Toy Story 1 yeah, came out. It's been 25 years of technological innovation that culminates in this movie. Because, And that's the thing about what was cool in Inside Out is when they made the original Toy Story, they had to use toys because they had a problem with making humans. Humans didn't look natural, but toys had these slotted joints that they didn't have to worry about pinching and they, and, muscles. And their technology made things look plasticky already, mm-hmm. so it was super easy to do. And also, they couldn't even do something like infinite distance. They had problems with light shaders, so almost every scene in Toy Story is a single light source. They can't do water. They can't do a lot of things. Fast forward just to 2015 when they're doing Inside Out. Inside Out was like their first shot at doing... Like, they were doing dynamic lighting stuff. They did water lighting and Ratatouille. They did Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. But this was a really not, like, them playing with nonsensical lighting because they had to do it inside of a mindscape. They really had to create an entire world. And this here's the thing to think about. Every single one of those memories is a light source. And they had to render literally thousands 
of thousands. And this was before Coco. Coco was like the one where they're like, we don't even care anymore, and we're going to put <laughs> millions of lights on the screen, and you're going to have your mind blown. But this was like thousands and thousands of lights. So, you know, real shout out to Pixar for keeping that technology game going. Cause well, that's the thing. They, every movie, they try to pick, or they don't pick a thing, but they're like, okay, this is going to be the thing we end up working on mm -hmm. this movie. Like, Mo, uh, not Moana, sorry. Um, uh, Brave was all about their hair technology. Yeah, Monsters, Inc. was too. Like, that was the first yeah, time getting fur. Sully's fur, and this tufts of fur. And then... Um, Brave was when they were really getting the fur as like real patches and patterns. And also human hair, like that oh, really yeah. springy uh, hair that Merida has. Uh, but just because we need to wrap up soon, uh, now is the part of the podcast where we rank everything. Uh, you, we rate on a scale of zero to five. You can be as minute and specific with your uh, decimals and stuff as you want. But uh, so Cameron, let's start with you. What do you, what do you think you're going to rate? Uh, I'm going to say three. Yeah, because that's the thing. is, It's a great Pixar movie. It's a great movie all around. But at the end of the day, like, there, I think there are, like, way better movies and representations out there of the things I think Pixar were going for. Mm -hmm. So, like, from a technical standpoint, from a, like, mechanic standpoint, 10 out of 5. From a storytelling, this is a representation of depression that I think we can all latch on to. I actually give that a 4 out of 5. I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'll say that up front. <laughs> but when it came to, like, the overall movie and, like, picking your heroes and villains and plot points, I'm going to max it out at 3. I get that. I think we didn't really talk about a lot of aspects of this movie. Like, Bing Bong, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought that was kind of the most, uh, you know, ironically, emotionally manipulative part of the movie. But I think overall, I saw this movie at a time that I really needed to see it. And I think... In terms of subject matter for a kids movie, like there's nothing really mm -hmm. like it. So I think I'm gonna go quite a bit higher. Actually, I'm giving uh, Inside Out a 4.35. So Damn. crunching the numbers, we are collectively. So the two of us together, we are giving uh, Inside Out a score of 3.675. So that maths. <laughs> yeah, with our internal rankings, that means that Inside Out is going right. Oh wow, this is weird is going right in between. It's a little bit lower than a Cinderella story and a little bit higher than Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which is... Which How did How Grinch Stole Christmas? Because there are three now. So I'm talking. we're talking about the Jim Carrey one. Ooh, that should probably be lower. Uh, the yeah. Jim Carrey one should be lower. I think we were a little bit uh, <laughs> generous at that time. Uh, but yeah, so that is Inside Out. Cameron, thanks so much for taking time out of the, this podcast convention to talk. Uh, so we got... Uh, two minutes left. Uh, tell everybody about your podcast, Sweating the Small Stuff. Sweating the Small Stuff, a show where we sweat over the science stories and misconceptions behind your favorite pop culture moments. You can find all of our stuff at smallstuff.show. Reach out to us with your cool ideas, smallstuffshow at gmail.com. And if you think you have a friend or anyone out there who you think will really enjoy this conversation, getting into these weird, kind of unexpected places inside your favorite kids' movies, I need you to go sit them down and tell them that Ross is working his butt off out here. Oh, thank working you. working hard to make this show. And you, your friend's going to want to listen to this show. Now maybe, maybe after you guys have bonded, become the deepest of friends over this experience, go check out Sweating yeah. the Small Stuff. And, it, and if you're from Sweating the Small Stuff and checking us out for the first time, hey, we're, we're bay for nostalgia. Um, mm -hmm. We stand nostalgia. And we like and hate uh, movies. So definitely give us a listen. But uh, that is all for today. We will hear you in a fortnight. And go, go, gadget, end show. <laughs>